So we have spent the past month immersed in the Hebrew Proverbs, and we've been thinking about our own school days, and it prompted me to dig up this old picture of my grade school class, the class that I was in from third to sixth grade. That's me right there in the middle in that uh, beautiful white and striped shirt there with a remarkable group of folks that went on to work as doctors and lawyers and teachers, preachers, artists, dancers, chefs, and even one gourmet garlic farmer. I was deeply formed by these four years in this class and my teacher, Donna Olson, and looking back over my school days, I realized that the teachers that molded me and to the person that I am today, so many of them were women. In Hebrew scripture, wisdom is personified as God's feminine spirit working in the world to teach and to guide and to advocate for justice and reconciliation. And the Proverbs are one scroll in a collection of writings simply called the writings or ketuvim in Hebrew. And these include the Psalms and Proverbs, but also the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ruth, Esther, and Job as well. And the sayings of the Proverbs were collected from many different sources, even some of them outside of the Hebrew tradition. The scroll begins with a father extolling his son to heed wisdom's advice. And it ends with a mother doing much the same. And certainly there's much that could be said about the value of heeding our mothers and the value of wisdom. But maybe that's a sermon for another holiday because on this Labor Day, I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes speaking about our work. Why our work matters to God and why God matters to our work. So let us pray. God of creation, whose spirit continues to work in our lives, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be receptive to your wisdom for us today, that we may be inspired to do your work in the world, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a fable about work that you probably all know, about the ant and the grasshopper. It was written by a former Greek slave named Aesop about the same time as our Hebrew Proverbs, 600 years before the birth of Christ. It tells of a grasshopper who spends his summer singing while the ants are bustling around, busily preparing for winter. And when the cold is upon them, the grasshopper begs the ants for food. And the the ants reply, what were you doing all summer? The grasshopper says, I was making music. Then the ants shrug and say, making music were you? Very well, now dance. Well, it's not a very charitable response for sure, but the fable is intended to teach us the value of working. And a similar lesson is taught by our Hebrew proverb for today. Go to the ant, you lazy bones. Consider its ways and be wise. 
without having any chief or officer or ruler. It prepares its food in summer and gathers its sustenance in harvest. How long will you lie there, O lazy bones? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. Ancient words, ancient wisdom. Thanks be to God. This proverb may be summarized simply as work hard, get ahead. The wisdom is shared many times in the Proverbs, and this advice was also offered to me all through my school days, and I took it to heart. I always felt that if I needed more money, I would just work harder, take another job or a side hustle, work and even at the expense of my family and my relationships and even my own well-being. And when I returned to school, entering seminary after many years of feeling like that grasshopper in the fable, I resolved to work hard. I devoured my readings, I pined over papers, and I admit much like the ants, I'm ashamed to say, I chided my classmates who seemed to have less time for their schoolwork. And while my work led to my success, I wouldn't be here if it were not so. I fell into that common trap of seeing myself through my work and success and comparing myself to others. I understood my own success and situation of others as the result of one's work. While my work, sorry, the Proverbs express a similar sentiment in the 24th chapter. It says, I passed by the field of one who was lazy, by the vineyard of the stupid person, and see it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed warrior. While the Proverbs offer valuable advice for life, they are not the last word in Hebrew Scripture. The wisdom scrolls conclude with the story of Job, a righteous man who worked hard and lost everything. Hebrew Scripture acknowledges that following the wisdom of the Proverbs does not guarantee our success because life sometimes is just not fair. That passage that we just read, it reminds me of this funny story that Kyle Key shared with us about a pastor who's admiring the beautiful field of a farmer and praising God for its bounty. And the farmer replies, well, you should have seen that field when God was working it in himself. We all like to take credit for our work, do we not? And we often forget that we don't do it alone. We work in partnership with God. As Paul tells his friends in the church of Corinth, for we are God's co-workers working together 
You are God's field, God's building. Too often we tend to compartmentalize our work life and our spiritual life. We separate our faith from our work and we forget why our work matters to God and why God matters to our work. In his book, Every Great Endeavor, theologian and pastor Tim Keller recognizes that work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, but the food of our soul. But, he warns, work is not all there is to life. You will not have a meaningful life without work, but you cannot say that work is the meaning of your life. If you make any work the purpose of your life, even if that work is church ministry, you create an idol that rivals God. So Keller suggests four ways to avoid this trap. First, we are not our work. You know, too often we fall into this trap of viewing ourselves through the lens of our occupation or profession and tying our self-worth to our success. And we forget that our relationship with God and each other is rooted in our faith and not in our performance. We forget that regardless of what we do or not do, regardless of our success or failure, we are all created in God's image and claimed by Christ as beloved children of God. Our relationship with each other and our relationship with our Creator form the foundations of our identity and not our profession or position. And this is especially important in our relationships with those that may not have shared the same privilege or opportunities or advantages that we have. Second, our work honors God. While our culture honors the prestigious professions, our faith affirms the dignity of all work and those that have no work. In the 24th Psalm, the poet reminds us the earth belongs to God and everything in it in the world is theirs. So in everything that we do, in any job that we do, even in the most mundane chores, we are working with God. God to bring forth God's gifts to the world. Martin Luther teaches that even the milk from the cow is a gift from God, but it requires our work as well, intending the pasture and caring for the animal. So even the humble milkmaid is participating in God's gift. When we do simple chores well, we are doing godly work. Third, God cares about our work. Our faith provides a moral compass that helps us to resist corruption and greed. When we remember that we are not just working to get ahead, to make money, to find success, but instead we are working with God to bring forth God's gifts for the world, we are humbled and centered 
in our faith. We are called to care about the impact of our work on the lives of those we work with and the lives of those that we work for. And finally, faith puts work in its proper place. Work is not meant to be our master. When we place our work above the needs of others, when we prioritize work over our relationships, it becomes our master. When we see making money as an end in itself, we lose our perspective and our priorities. A wise and wealthy man once quipped, money is like breathing. You need to breathe, but who wants to spend their whole life just breathing? We are so much more than what we produce, and we are called by our faith to hold others with the same grace and esteem. Now, I'm not saying that work and money and the resources that come with it are not important, but these things need to be held in their proper place. Jesus first brought his good news to the peasants of Galilee, the fishermen, the carpenters, the farmers, the workers. And when Jesus teaches and preaches in the Gospel of John, first he feeds them with five loaves and two fishes. And then the next day, when those folks are searching for him, seeking more food, Jesus answers them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Friends, the good news is that there is so much more to life than our work and our wealth. The spirituals that grew out of the enslavement and the oppression of the African-American peoples faithfully exemplifies this understanding. They provide encouragement in one's work while reminding us that our lives are worth so much more to God than the product of our labor. The glorious anthem that the choir will sing in just a minute, it extols that virtue saying, keep your hand on the gospel plow, hold on. Hold on to the truth that Jesus shared that we are all beloved children of God. 
Hold on to the faith that God continues to work in our lives and in the world. Hold on to that spirit that works through us to bring forth God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So as we prepare to gather around God's welcome table, as we hold on to that little piece of bread, to that cup of juice, we are reminded to hold on to this truth, that God matters to our work because everything comes from God. And our work matters to God because it is through our partnership with the God of creation, through the power of Christ's Spirit, that as lawyers and doctors and preachers and teachers and artists and dancers and chefs and even gourmet garlic growers, we are all working together to bring forth the kingdom where all are fed and cared for. May it be so in your lives, in the lives of your family, in the life of this congregation, and in the life of this church. Amen.